Welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're about to hear a message from our Wednesday night Solid Rock Youth Group service. Solid Rock is a ministry of Living Word Family Church, and if you'd like to know more, check us out on our website at www.livingwordfamily.org. <laughs> That's for you and your family. Thank you so much for uh, answering correctly. Yeah, spiritual warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare. So last week, for those of you who remember, who were paying such close attention, last week, we kind of opened up the topic of spiritual warfare, warfare and started talking a little bit about what it is. And we went over two points. Now, does anybody remember those two points? Oh. All right. Daniel, but yes, that's, thank you. I'm glad you remember that. It's excellent. Very good. Yeah, excellent. Who else remembers anything from last week? Real quick, refresher. Another one? Go for it. Exactly right. He opened his eyes and showed him the spiritual army that God had on their side. So yes, very good. Thank you, job, Chase. You know what? You do that. Are you a reader? Do you like reading? Okay. Have you really? Well, now you can read the book. It's even better than the movie. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. So last week, here are the two points we hit on last week. There is an invisible world. Now I want you to remember this. For those of you who brought your notebooks, such I don't see anybody taking notes. I want us to get in a good habit. Johnny, are you taking notes? Sweet. I want you guys to get in a good habit of starting to take notes. That's something that I don't really push real hard um, because sometimes when we take notes, you guys end up passing notes. And I've seen the notebooks we used to hand out, so I know it's true. I want you to really consider bringing a notebook, a pen, take some notes, write some things down. I think it helps you to remember these things even better. So two points from last week, real quick as a review. There is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. All right? There is an invisible world that we can't see because we haven't been created to see the, the spiritual realm. We see the physical realm. with our we, we interact with our world with our five senses. Okay? So we can't see these invisible things that this is talking about. The invisible things that God sees because God sees it all. So angels, demons, this warfare that we're talking about. But there is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. And point number two we talked about last week, we are involved in an invisible war, a cosmic conflict that has eternal implications. You know what that means? That means the warfare that's going on around us that involves us has eternal implications. That means it matters to your eternal life. It matters. The spiritual battles that we fight every day, whether you know it or not, has eternal implications. So, we're going to move on. Point number three we're going to start talking about tonight. Our enemy is formidable, and his goal is to destroy us and discredit the cause of Christ. And we see that in Ephesians 6.12. Johnny, I didn't give you the verses tonight, so feel free to throw them up. If you can't, not a big deal. Ephesians 6.12. Our enemy is formidable, and his goal is to destroy us and discredit the cause of Christ. What does formidable mean? Anybody know what that means? Anybody give me an idea what formidable means? Powerful, mighty, dangerous. Formidable means that he's a strong opponent. Okay? We're not just going against some weak person here. We're going against a very strong opponent. Satan and his forces, this is a quote, and I don't remember the person who, who wrote it, so I apologize, but Satan and his forces have a plan to terrorize 
your soul, render you ineffective to the cause of Christ, and make your life one of misery and defeat. I'm going to say that again. Satan and his forces have a plan to terrorize your soul, render you ineffective for the cause of Christ, and make your life one of misery and defeat. Now let me tell you how he does that. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Satan has schemes, plans, devices, things that he has set into motion to impact our lives negatively, okay? All right? Do you understand what I mean by that? A plan, a scheme, something that he has set into motion. Has anybody ever seen a, a, a Bruce Goldberg device? Yeah? There, there are, I see videos all over YouTube. Some of them are absolutely incredible, where you tip something over on one end, and it chain reaction causes all this stuff to happen until, you know, whatever happens at the end. Uh, absolutely incredible. So neat. Satan has put together these plans and schemes so that he tips one domino and some different things happen in our lives and chain reactions and stuff, stuff. So the next thing you know, you know, a year or two later, after some things have built up and happened and fallen into place and different things like that, all of a sudden we have this mess that we're in. And we're like, what happened? Well, what we don't realize is that something happened a year ago that started this whole scheme into motion. The wrong boy, the wrong girl, the wrong relationship, the wrong things that you check out on TV or on your phone, the wrong people that you talk to online, whatever that case is, some of these things start into motion and set things into motion that we, we don't understand the full works of it, okay? But what we need to understand and what we need to know is that the enemy is constantly working against us. We have got to be vigilant, okay? In 1 Peter 5.8, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Stay alert. That's a, there's an exclamation point there. Stay alert. Watch out for your great, the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Some translations say looking for someone whom he may devour. Now, has anybody ever watched the Nature Channel? Watched lions prowling and hunting? Well, yeah, metaphorically devour, but just crush us, destroy us, kill us, take away any effectiveness that we have for the kingdom. Has anybody ever watched the Nature Channel watch a lion? What does Riley, what does a lion do? Who does he attack? Or what does he attack? A gazelle, okay. Now let me ask you this. Is he going to attack a big, strong, fast gazelle? He'll try. You watch the Nature Channel? You might think that he might go after the big ones because they have more meat or something. However, that's not exactly the case. Who said, Josh, what did you say? Did you say something? Say it again. Her. Yeah. They go after the weak ones. They go after the animals, that, and typically they'll go after younger ones because they're not as strong to fight off an enemy. They'll go after weak ones. They'll go after young ones. They'll go after ones that are slow, that are falling behind the herd. Okay, or that are caught out in the open by themselves that have no, no, no defense mechanism. This is what lions will hunt. Okay? They, they know how to target weakness. They know how to target weakness. And our enemy knows how to target weakness. If your weakness is a particular boy, then the enemy is going to make that particular boy look irresistible to you. Am I right? How many of you young ladies have ever been attracted to a guy who you know is no good? 
but for some reason you're attracted to them. You can, hey, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Be honest. It's okay. Yeah, Emily, I've heard the stories. <laughs> how, right? Guys, how many of you have been attracted to a girl who is out of your league and yet you're willing to change something about yourself to try to make you seem more likable to her or change yourself to get in her group of friends or whatever, but you're willing to change yourself and be somebody that you're not and maybe even do things you shouldn't do to get a girl's attention. Thank you for being honest, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, I remember in, I remember in grade school, middle school, having a crush and trying to act cooler or walk cooler or whatever just to get a girl's attention, change who I was, all right? The enemy knows your weakness, okay? The enemy knows your weakness. Satan looks to tempt us at our weakest moments when we're home alone. When we're out on a date, just you and somebody else. Not with a group of friends, but when you go out on a date, if you go out and hang out with somebody, just you and them, and you're out on your own, the temptations are far stronger. When you're on your phone, surfing around late at night, when your friends are pressuring you, Satan knows how to catch you at your weakest moments because he understands human nature. Because he helped create that fallen human nature. He understands it, and he's been around for a very very long time, okay? The enemy has schemes working against us 24-7. And sometimes it's so subtle, we don't realize that the battle is not going our way. We don't realize that there's things that are overcoming us, conquering us, because we're just not, that's just not our frame of mind. We're not in the frame of mind each and every day that there's something coming against me, that there's a battle. I have to be alert, I have to be on top of my game. Not only do I have to study in school, not only do I have to practice with my sports, you know, practice my uh, whatever sporting event I'm working on or whatever my team sport is, whatever I got to do, I got to school, sports, do my chores at home. But yes, you have to be alert as well. Be in the Word of God, pray, spend time with God, worship, come to church, spend time with your church family. That's, all of that is part of being alert and staying on your game, okay? Being at the top of your game. Allowing God to work in you and through you to have an understanding, to have an understanding of this battle that we are fighting, okay? Now, who is our enemy? Did you know that Jesus spent nearly 20 to 30% of his ministry interacting with demonic forces, whether it's casting demons out of somebody or talking about the devil or anything like that, 20 to 30 percent, that's a lot. So this is not something we should overlook. This is not something we should just take lightly. This is serious. Now, I'll tell you a little bit about who Satan is, okay, and who he was. Satan was an angel. Did you know that Satan used to be an angel? He is a created being. He is a created being. So yeah, Ryan, you knew that. Satan was an angel. You guys know what happened? He fell. Do you know why he fell? Does anybody know why he fell? Right. That's exactly right. Pride, right? Pride. He was one of the most powerful angels. He was of the highest class of angels. We see that in Ezekiel. That's all part of sin, and if we, are, if if we do not repent of our sin, and if we do not come to Jesus then yes, ultimately that's where we'll go. Not because God created, hold on a sec, not because God created hell for us, but because God created hell for Satan and his demons, 
And if we align with them, basically turn away from God and align, we're essentially aligning ourselves with the wrong side, okay? Then that's where we'll ultimately end up. And that's not what God's desire is for us. That's not his will for us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He didn't create hell for us. And yet, that's where we will, we will end up if we do not repent of our sins, accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Satan was a powerful angel. He was created perfect and had a heavenly a place in heaven. He had a duty and a job in heaven. He was the guardian of God's glory. We also see that in Ezekiel 28. He was, uh, he was um, excuse me, more powerful and more beautiful than all other created beings. Okay? I mean, so he was not... When you, when you see uh, Satan and demons depicted in books and in TV and in movies and stuff, you just picture this kind of monster, ghoulish-looking creature, right? And yet that's not the case. That's not the case. The Bible says that he was created beautiful. He was wise, okay? Sin was his pride. We see that in Isaiah chapter 14. His pride was sin. Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going, to show, I'm going to give you a few statements that Satan said, okay? I will. He began to see himself as greater. He began to see himself and began pride crept into his heart. And if you say, Matt, how does pride creep into the heart of an angel? I have no clue. That's a very, very good question. Um, I've heard some people teach, I've heard some ministers teach that uh, he caught a glimpse of himself and he became prideful, pride crept in his heart. Exactly how that happens, I don't know, but here's what Satan said. When that pride began to creep in his heart, here's what he said. And again, we see this in Isaiah 14. I will ascend into heaven. That means he will try to become, have equal recognition to God. I will raise my throne above other angels. I will sit at the mount of the assembly, which means he'll take God's place, the throne. I will sit above the clouds. In other words, I will take God's glory. And then finally, he said, I will be like God. So say, Satan revolts, he rebels against God. A third of the angels, 33% of the angels, follow after him and rebel as well. What happens? Of course, God is all-powerful. All, Satan and all of his angels are cast down, uh, and they are cast out of heaven. And then we see in the garden, as he tempts Eve, what does he tell her? Does anybody know what he told Eve? Give me an idea. Ryan. Yes, exactly right. What was the last thing that Satan said? I will be like God. He's saying, I will do these things, I will take over, I will take control, and I will be like God. He tempted Eve and told her, you can be like God. Eat this apple, and you will be smart, and you'll be wise, and you can be like God. We see this everywhere. Every time you see somebody on TV or you read an article and somebody says, there is no God, we know how these things happen, we know how this happened, we know how this happened. What are they doing? They're saying, I am like God, because I can determine how these things happen, how these things uh, evolved, and all of this stuff. I've heard so many people talk about this and, and think that they are so wise. And yet, as you listen to them, you're just like, man, they have no clue, they have no idea. And yet, that sin of pride, becoming your own God, becoming the, your own uh, ruler of your own universe, okay? And make no mistake, that's exactly what people who refuse to have anything to do with God, it's because they want to be the ruler of their own universe. They want to control their own selves. They don't want to give control to anybody else. They don't want to give control to God at all because they want to be 
They want to be in control of their own lives. They want to be their own God. Okay, point number four. So, point number three, what was that? Our enemy is formidable, all right? Our enemy is formidable, and he wants to destroy us and take us out. He's prowling around like a lion looking for somebody who's weak in faith, who doesn't have a strong relationship with God so he can take them out, all right? Number four, we must respect our enemy but not fear him. Well, it's a him. The Bible refers to Satan as a him. We must respect our enemy but not fear him. What do you, why do you think that is? Why do we need to respect our enemy? What do you think that means? Johnny? What's that? Right, yeah, just respect that he has power, that he is wise, that, his, that he's got schemes that work against us. We need to understand, we need to understand that we have a powerful enemy, okay? However, even though we need to respect that, understand it, be alert about it, we don't have to fear him. We need to be acutely aware of his methods, but we do not need to be preoccupied with him. So what I don't want to happen in this series is I don't want you to be like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I'm constantly under attack, or this is happening because of a, of, uh, of a demonic attack, or this, that, and the other thing. Don't have to be preoccupied with it. You just need to know that there is a battle that goes on around us, and we need to be alert and ready to stand in faith against these things, okay? So we see that in Ephesians, uh, again, in Ephesians 6.12. We must respect our enemy, but not fear him, all right? In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you don't have to go there, Johnny, it's all good. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul uh, is working with the Corinthian church. They're, they are um, they're essentially working out punishment and, and, punishment and um, forgiveness of somebody who had, who had done some wrong things in the church, okay? Now, Paul says, okay, the punishment's done. We need to bring this person back in and not harbor any unforgiveness or any ill will towards this person. We need to bring them back into the family of God on verse 11. Why? So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. See, Paul says that. He says, we don't want to walk in unforgiveness. We don't want to harbor any bitterness or any uh, ill will towards this person. We've dealt with the issue. Now we need to bring him back into the family, and we need to walk in love towards one another so that Satan will not outsmart us, because we are familiar with his evil schemes. What's Paul saying there? Paul is saying if we're not careful, if we're not careful, the enemy will use these kinds of things, disagreements, you know, uh, uh, something that somebody did against you. Satan can use those things and drive a wedge and, and, and bring bitterness and unforgiveness into your life. And if you've ever had anger towards somebody, if you've ever had unforgiveness towards somebody, you know how, like, poisonous that can be. You know how that can poison relationships and poison lives and just flat out um, just wreck relationships. Unforgiveness can wreck relationships. But Paul says we are not unfamiliar with Satan's schemes and his devices. Depression, unforgiveness, hurt, pride, all of these things are the things that Satan uses to come against us. And we have to know what we're up against. We have to be alert. Going back to point three, we have to be alert. All right? I'm going to make a couple of examples here. How many of you watch football? All right, for those of you who watch football, and for the, even for those of you who don't, you probably at least have a basic understanding of what happens. When you get to some of the major games, like let's say the Super Bowl, right? 
what have these teams been doing? In the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl, what have these teams been doing, Chase? Training. They've been not only training their bodies, they've been preparing and training their minds to recognize the other team's schemes, their play schemes, all right? They've been training, they've been watching video, they've been watching game film after game film after game film after game film. We even did this in high school. When I was playing ball in high school, Saturday was film day, all right? After the game Friday night, we would come in on Saturday morning, a lot of us guys would grab some breakfast, bring it in, we would watch the game film from Friday night. The coaches would point out, okay, so-and-so, do you see how you missed that block? Here's what you need to do. We would watch ourselves and we would correct what we did wrong, okay? But then as soon as we did that, we would review the night before, we would go immediately and to start watching tapes. And we did that on Saturday mornings, but the coaches did it all week long. They would watch tapes of the team we were getting ready to play on Friday night, okay, and be ready for them. They would say, okay, this guy, he runs this slant this way. Okay, this guy, uh, he typically does this or that, so we need to be ready. You so-and-so, you're going you're gonna to be in that position. You're going to have him, so be ready for when he cuts. When he cuts this way, know that this is what's going to happen. Be ready for it. When you get to somewhere like the Super Bowl, they've got dozens and dozens of people pouring over game films of their opponents. Why? Because they want to win, right? They want to win. So they study every aspect of their opponent, what they do, what they, how they react to certain situations. Uh, when, when, when it's uh, third and, and four, and they've got, or excuse me, when it's third and long, and they've got so many yards to run, whatever they've got to do, here's exactly what they usually run. Okay, we've got to be ready for it. So they watch over all this stuff. They are alert and ready, and they are trained to respond and to attack at certain times, okay? For those of us that went paintballing the other day, all right, some of you who were on my team, at least when we had Kip and we were winning anyway, what did we do? As soon as he said, three, two, one, go, what did we do? We split up. We sent one part of our team this way and one part of our team this way. And we had somebody in the middle typically trying to call out motions, right? Oh, they're heading this way. They're going, under their, they're going behind that. They're doing this and that. Why, why did we do that? We did that because we wanted to win, right? We could see the enemy's motions. We could see what they were doing, and we were trying to get around them. We were trying to um, keep them and cut them off from what they were planning on doing. What would happen if I, if he said, three, two, one, go, and I walk just straight through the course? Hey, I want to get to their base there. What would happen if I just walked straight through? I'd get, I'd get shot all over the place, wouldn't I? Right? I mean, I'd be just a sitting duck because what? I'm not being alert. I'm not being prepared. I'm not, you know, seeing what's going on around me. I'm not, you know, uh, 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 doing the motions, what I need to be doing to, to, to stay alive, right? Paintball speaking. But what the enemy throws at us isn't paintball. The enemy throws temptation. The enemy throws unforgiveness. The enemy throws anger. The enemy throws pride. The enemy throws all kinds of nasty stuff our way to try to trip us up. We can't walk through life unprepared. We can't walk through our, uh, our, our spiritual journey looking around, not having any idea what's going on around us. Because if you do, the enemy will nail you every single time. Every single time. He's a liar, a slanderer, a deceiver, a tempter. He has a system designed to undermine you at every turn. There is a reason that you see 99.9% .9 of the time beautiful women on the front of magazines. 
Guys, it's to trip you up. And girls, guess what? It's to trip you up. Because you have a serious issue with self-image. And guys, we do too, to an extent. All right? If I walk through the grocery store and I see, you know, a guy with six-pack abs on the front of a men's magazine, all of a sudden I feel a little bit worse about myself, right? Okay, guys, we have a little bit of a self-image issue as well. But primarily, girls have a huge self image Ashley's smiling because she knows I got six-pack abs. <laughs> but you see, but do you see what I'm talking about? Through a magazine cover that you had nothing to do with, you walk by it, and all of a sudden, your mind begins to wander. Your mind becomes tainted. All of a sudden, you slip. Guys, all of a sudden, you go home, and you decide to look up that particular model from that magazine because it's real easy. To, it's the tips of your fingers. And then when you look up that, then you start glancing at other things. You start doing other things. Ladies, you go home, and you stand in front of the mirror, and you wish for an hour and a half how you looked like that particular person. Am I right? The enemy will do everything he can to trip you up. He will, he will whisper in your ear that you are not good enough. Chase, you had a perfect example when we were doing our prayer requests, and you want to lift up your science test as a prayer request, right? Just because you've maybe struggled with past science tests, you are so ready to be like, I'm going to fail this science test. The enemy is whispering in your ear, and eventually he doesn't even have to whisper it. It just becomes a snap. I am going to fail. 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 Because I missed that shot in basketball last game, all of a sudden, you're thinking, I'm going to fail. I am going to fail. I'm, the, the enemy whispers these things into your, into, your, into your mind, and you start thinking these things over. You start dwelling on these things, and eventually, what happens? You have what you say. You will fail. This is what I mean about being alert. He attacks God's program. God programs us, and God designs us to serve him, to love him, to have a relationship with him, and the enemy attacks that. The enemy attacks God's program with false philosophy. Man, have we seen that each and every day. If, you are, if, you're, if you're alive in today's society, you see that all the time. False philosophy, false religions, false ministers, ministers who claim to be ministers of the gospel, and yet they're peddling anything but the gospel. False disciples, false morals, Satan attacks the church by deceiving men, deceiving pastors, destroying lives, persecuting the saints. That's you and me. Preventing service. Preventing service. Paul, in his letter to uh, the Thessalonians, talked about how I desire to come to you, but the enemy has hindered me. So what happened? Did Satan stand in front of him with a pitchfork and was shooing him away? Don't go to the Thessalonica church. No, what was happening? Satan threw government officials, through a mob, through some other way, kept Paul from going. But Paul understood the, uh, the, the, the demonic influence behind what was holding him back. Uh, the enemy will attack us by attacks God's church by provoking sins, by producing cults. By producing cults. I'm going to share one quick example with you, and then we're going uh, to break here, and we can continue the last step, or the last one for next week. But the enemy will produce cults, false religions, to pull people away from following the one true way, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, in World War II, when we were fighting Japan in the Pacific, the Japanese people for uh, probably centuries had been taught and trained that their emperor was God. 
was a legit god. Could not be killed, could not be hurt. They were all powerful. They were raised to believe that their emperor was God. So when World War II comes around, these people, even though at, towards the end of the tail end of the Pacific, the, the war in the Pacific, they were losing badly. What did they do? They would dive bomb their own planes into American ships. Because rather than go home defeated to their emperor, who they believed was God, they would rather die for their cause. They would rather die. When we drop the bomb, whatever you think of it, when we dropped both bombs and the Japanese finally surrendered, the emperor, and I didn't realize this, I didn't know this until just here recently, the emperor actually stated, I am not God. Now, can you imagine how that wrecked people's worldview? They had been raised and trained to believe that this man was God. And yet, when they see their country in shambles because of what they, you know, because of what they had been led to believe and led to do, and then to realize, that, okay, this person I was following is actually not God, like false religions, cults, these things will wreck lives, and the enemy sets it all up. To, to, to be, a, to be a, a horrible shadow of what God's church is supposed to be. A relationship with him is supposed to be. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I want you guys to go ahead and stand. So we know that our enemy is formidable, he's powerful, but we are not ignorant of his schemes. We know what he tries to pull on us. When you feel anger rising up at a friend, you know that that's not God. When you feel pride creeping in and starting to think of yourself as better than you are, that is not from God. We're not ignorant of what he's going to try to pull against us, okay? Hey, guys, I need you to focus, all right? We're not ignorant. We know exactly what the enemy tries to pull, okay? So he's, even though he's formidable, we know. We, we, all we have to do is be alert and know that we are up against a strong enemy, but we serve a stronger God. We serve an all-powerful, all-knowing, loving, graceful, merciful God. He who is with us is stronger than he who is in the world. It's stronger than any enemy we could face. So our enemy may be formidable, but God is far stronger. So there may be some weak spots in your life, but I'm here to encourage you tonight to be alert and be ready and know what those weaknesses might be so that you can strengthen yourself when the enemy comes to attack, when the enemy tries to get you to, to fall and stumble, and when the enemy tries to hit those weak spots and get you to sin and get you to feel condemned and guilty about yourself, get you to question your faith, question your salvation. We serve a big, big God. We do not have to be preoccupied and overly concerned about the enemy because he has already been defeated by Christ. Jesus has made a sacrifice for us so that we have the victory through him. God is bigger and greater than anything we could face. But our part, our part is to have a relationship with Him, to be walking in His will, 
to be studying His Word and to be standing in faith on His promises. Did you guys catch that? Because I'm telling you what, if you miss that, you're going to fail. If you miss that, you're going to fall. If you miss that, you're going to stumble. And what did we learn tonight? That Satan roams around like a lion, prowling, seeking whom he may devour. Are you going to let him? Are you going to let him wreck your life because you are not prepared? Are you going to let him devour you because you are not willing to be where you're supposed to be. Some of you in here tonight may have been tripped up. Most all of us have been tripped up at one point or another. And maybe there's some things that the enemy still tries to push against you. And he says, well, remember when you did this. Remember when you said this. How could God ever love you? Well, I want you to know that God loves you so much that he sent his, done, his son to die for you and to wash away those sins, those wrong things that you have done. And if you're in here tonight and you have never prayed that prayer, you have never received Jesus' free gift of salvation, I want you to do that tonight before you leave. I want you to leave here tonight knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where you will go when you leave this earth, that you will spend eternity in heaven. And I want you to leave here tonight without a shadow of a doubt, knowing that you have a relationship in the here and now with our Heavenly Father, with a God who loves you and who wants what's best for you. I want everybody who walks out of this room tonight to leave here with that assurance in their hearts. And if you don't have that assurance, then I want you to come up tonight and I want to pray with you. If you do have that assurance in your heart, if you know where you're going to go when you die, if you know that you have God on your side and you know that he loves you, then as we worship tonight, I want to see that play out in your worship. I want to see that play out in hands raised and mouths open and eyes focused on him. Because if you have an assurance of your salvation, if you have an assurance of a God who is amazing, who is on your side and who has given you the victory through Christ Jesus, that should play out. You better know that should play out in your worship. That should play out in your life each and every day. Starting tonight, it should play out in your worship. Worship the God who loves you, who has given you victory, and who will see you through every battle and every trial.